McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Bromley fans, and once people forecast episode 186. Well, the season's over, and that means we're back again, the playoffs are done, and it's time for the season review. Join the podcast today is Andy Mitchmore. How are you, Andy? Hello, Bunts. Yeah, the season is over. Another inspirational one in the books, a classic we will all look back on for years to come with excitement, and uh, literally I've already forgotten what happened against Wickham. So, yeah, absolute classic. Nice to see you. How are you, my friend? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Thank you very much. I'm, I've, I've not been doing too much the last few days. Had some time off, which is which is nice. And spent last week pretty much just partying up for a design week, which involved raving in a church in London and just doing other stuff where I have to pay absolutely nothing for my drinks in London, which is great. Can we just clarify whether that is a former church or a currently Sunday practicing church? Because there's a big difference. Um, I believe it's a former church. I, I did ask the priest when he was there, but yeah, I believe it's a former church. <laughs> no, it's definitely a former church. But on that h- high note, Freddie Webb, how are you, mate? Oh, I am not so bad. Yeah, I'm enjoying, well, the off-season now. I'm also on holiday, which is very nice, and I plan on doing not very much. Just relaxing and unwinding and not thinking about all the uh, Pompey transfer rumours that are coming in. I'm going to take a short break, I think. So it's a solid 33% of the PO podcast actually doing any bloody work at the moment. Excellent. I was working massively for ages. This is like my second bit of time off this year, so going to have it. I'd say it's more 15% production output, though, because me and Fred do more generally. So yeah. you make up the numbers of your workload, don't you? Absolutely not nibbling. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys, let's get into it then and go from the top. Let's talk about our predictions. Now... We might as well get the elephant in the room out. Freddie was closest, unfortunately. I know he was begging for us to lose the last game so he could be exactly right. But Fred, congratulations. Splendor. You look very you look very smug about it. Well, I think from the beginning from the episode when we did those predictions, you guys thought I was being very cynical. And to be fair, a couple of the transfers that came in after we made those predictions, I thought I'd look silly. And then especially with the start that Pompey had, I thought I'd look incredibly stupid. And I wanted to be really wrong, and I wanted your positive predictions to be right. But uh, yeah, they felt a bit, unfortunately. But, and, and no, I did not want Pompey to lose the Wickham game just so he finished ninth. That's scandalous behaviour. Freddie's has got this sort of like scandalous sort of slander. So all these words that journalists use to try and get out of things that they think and believe. As he told me in the pub, he definitely wanted them to lose so that he I could be there. right. Yeah, I can, I can uh, corroborate that. Yeah, it's classic journo underhand tactics, Fred, using hyperbolic stuff to get you to weasel your way out of um, yeah an open and shut case. You've been done there, mate. I, I had to learn it from somewhere. Who's been mentoring you at the news that's been teaching you that, Fred? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. He's done that one as well. See? No He's comment. Here we go. Aren't you? Bunch, doesn't it make you proud when Freddie comes out and just pulls the no comment? Like, we used to know him when he was not a journo yet and just actually used to give honest answers on stuff. And I was like, oh, no comment. Here's a non libelous thing I can say that kind of suggests something's happened when it hasn't, but it's not legally binding. I, 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 still, I still give my opinions on things. Um, it's just. And with libel oh, things, it's stuff I legitimately cannot say. <laughs> yeah, like when you ask someone to have a look at uh, the, con- the content you're doing or an article, no comments, give you the standard here. But anyway, Freddie, since you're right, Andy, you made a prediction. I believe it was fourth. I don't remember, if I'm honest. I, I do. It was yeah, fourth. I have no idea. 
It sounds plausible. I have absolutely no idea what I predicted, but I'm normally a bit more optimistic than Fred. Uh, so that does sound extremely believable. Yeah, that was pretty stupid, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> bearing in mind, <laughs> I'm leaning towards fourth for next year and the league looks a whole lot softer next year on paper, as we'll talk about later on. Yeah, pretty stupid, wasn't I? I think um, as that will probably get replicated when Freddie does guess the XG results later on. I'm just not very good at this, but at least I own that. What did you go for, Hugh, at the start of the season? I went for sixth, oh. which is in the middle, I suppose. Been a bit optimistic, trying to make the playoffs, all that malarkey, but that was Solid pretty far-fetched too. For me. Yeah. Well, you know, that's how it is, I suppose. But boys, let's go over the overview then. Should we talk about the season and just how it's gone from, from the start? That's our predictions done. We are rubbish as always, apart from Freddie, who nearly got it right. But we'll gloss over that and say, overall, can we see any positives before we start laying into what's been negative about a team? Freddie, I want to hear your one positive for the season, please. Your hot take. It's not really a hot take. It's just the main good thing we have. Uh, we have a 20-goal-a-season striker, which for the last few seasons we didn't have. And it's a focal point to build the team around. Colby Bishop pretty much romped home with the uh, the end of season awards as you'd expect and he's the sort of striker to get us out of this league and was bought for a reasonable amount of money can score multiple types of goals fit into a system and many argue from his play uh, he could have scored more than the I think it was 20 league goals ish I'd have to double check that though but no he had an incredible season and then going into the summer you could argue that we we're we have that striker and we have some strong centre midfielders. So there's a start to build around. We're not completely rebuilding the team from scratch. But there's still a lot to be done as we'll, as we'll go into later. Go on, Andy. Hit us with the juice of positivity. Uh, if the league was only played from 46 minutes onwards every week or points were only given from 46 minutes onwards, we'd have finished fourth. And my prediction would have been dead on, which is actually what I was referring to in the pre-season predictions. I just wasn't as specific as I probably should have been. But I think, yeah, it's a pretty fourth best in League One, second halves. You'll never sing that. I think that's a pretty strong, pretty strong, strong claim we've got there. So we're basically the Peterborough chokes of the playoffs, but in the season, effectively, after... Yeah. yeah. On that note, a question I wanted to ask you two, actually. Would you rather we finished where we finished, came eighth, season was reasonably dead a couple of games out, although frustratingly, you know, we hadn't dropped points against the bottom teams in the league. We we could have made it into the playoffs. Would you rather be in that position at the end of the season or finish sixth, sixth like Peterborough did and then throw away a 4-0 lead between the first and second leg of the playoff semi? Bunce, do you want to answer that first? I want to see if we all agree or not. 100% bottle in the playoffs. Because it just means we're finishing higher and have a better chance next season of doing well and having a squad that's better. Fred? Yeah, Fred? Uh, I concur as well. Um, essentially, it, it would have been miles better if Pompey ended up in the playoffs. And with the if it was basically the same season, but with that difference, we wouldn't have been favourites to get out of the playoffs anyway. So being in there with the free hit would have been very nice, despite bottling it horrendously at the end if we're doing what Peterborough did. The podcast would have been absolute scenes after that second leg. I've not listened to the Yellow Block podcast reacting to it, but it would have been mwah, beautiful. Inject it. Yeah. I mean, I think we all agree with that, though, to be honest, about, about the playoffs and stuff. But let's get into the nitty-gritty, I suppose. Obviously, Danny Cowley was sacked partway through the season. Made it quite difficult, I suppose, John Massinio coming in. Some fans are still on his back about a change in the summer, which I think is a little bit ridiculous, to be honest, on the squad rebuild. But Fred, what's the big thing you think we need to change going into next season? Lessons learned and all that malarkey. Uh, I think a mixed recruitment approach, I think, is going to be the main reason. They, they, Richard Hughes has basically said he wants to go a bit more analytical. Um, go a bit younger, but not too young. He essentially said in previous stories that obviously they want to go after younger players who will then grow on and then maybe sell them that player trading model, which is the buzzword that's been going on. But they also said that they're not going to ignore players in their prime or in their early 30s who are good enough and will build that side. I think a stronger transfer policy would be nice because for the past two seasons, it's been 
hit and miss, really, hasn't it? We've had some major wins in the transfer market, like Colby Bishop, but then some others that haven't worked at all, like Michael Morrison. And then maybe less reliance on the loan market would also be nice, but that's my personal pet peeve. And also the pet peeve of some of the other fans that I've been just scouring Twitter for. So I think a stronger transfer strategy and a more reliable one would be the main thing to build into, I think. Andy? I would like us to stop trying to execute football plans or tactics that might be game theory optimal, but we don't have the players to successfully execute. Case in point, centre-backs taking goal kicks. Case in point, some of the play we've seen around the back four that has cost us goals, back four and goalkeeper combined. It may well be the best way of playing the game if you've got players that could execute it. And if we had, you know, a Premier League squad that that of that um calibre, brilliant. But the perfect the perfect plan, poorly executed, is not as good as a less optimal plan that is perfectly executed. So I'd like to see them be a little bit more realistic in some of those decisions, but that's absolutely not going to happen. It's essentially like a like have an identity and play to your strengths. That type of thing, because exactly, you know, yeah. if, you, if you look back to the Kenny Jacket era, we had the centre halves and the defence to play out from the back, in my opinion, and some of the midfielders to be a bit more controlling in games, but we were too direct. And then we went to that philosophy, but didn't have some of the players to fit it. And as you say, Andy, you're quite right. The play out of the back four or the back three in some cases this season perhaps cost us goals with defensive errors and so on. I don't know what the league table would look like if you took out. This is very, very hypothetical. If you took out the two goals we conceded from centre-backs playing the ball out, obviously we'd have an extra two points against. It was a Wiccan game, wasn't it? It was the first goal we conceded. We'd have an extra point from there and at least one extra point elsewhere. I can't remember what the other game was towards the end of the season, but it's a very small margin or a very small change that would have resulted in, you know, two, three points over the course of the season can be a lot. And I just think we... I think we fly a bit too close to the sun from time to time and a lot of our own issues are self-inflicted and very avoidable. So, yeah, a bit more realism in terms of the style of play at the back would be good for me. Well, I'm just going to pick on an easy one, I suppose. Our scoring in open play was absolutely terrible this season considering where we wanted to be. I mean, open play goals, 18th in the league expected for goals created for that as well 15th in the league when you're relying on effectively set play goals to try and get points against good teams you know how to defend etc it's just not going to happen it's all down to recruitment isn't it if they're going to play someone in that hole we're going to are we going to sign a cam i mean there's been a question we've done for bloody seasons isn't it over and over again it seems like each summer our wingers need to be able to score more goals. That's going to come from recruitment as well. And we just need to be able to create more chances. You know, we can't have Connor Ogilvy coming in, which I believe it was, and it starts again, second place or joint second place with goals. Or did Piggott just nick him at the end? But it was one of those things, isn't it? We need to score more goals. And that really comes from creating more goals through the centre of the pitch and just be able to play the ball out. So we'll see what happens. But there you go. It's been dull to watch, isn't it, Fred? Yeah, just a bit. And uh, yeah, Piggott nicked in with the second highest top goal scorer in the league. Um, actually, in total, according to BBC Sport, Colby Bishop had 24 goals and five assists as well, which is also, I believe, the, yes, joint top, Bishop with five. So that's worrying. So Bishop with 24 goals, then Piggott with six, and then Pack, Curtis, Hackett, and Ogilvy all on five. And if you want any side that's going to get promoted, you need more goal contributions from other players because think about our first season in League One where we got, where we got promoted out of League Two. It was Pittman scoring over 20 goals and that's about it. And then you had Jamal Lowe and that was about it. So it shows how far we've gone in six seasons that we're now back to having a striker who scores over 20 goals and then not much else. I mean, Pittman didn't quite get promoted with uh, with Porchy, so... There's got to be someone on Twitter calling for that to, for him to come back, but we won't entertain that. I think I think it's the the slow starts as well. Probably the other thing that you really do need to look at again, if we're going from a sort of a stats point of view, the first thirty minutes 
So one minute one to fifteen, the minute sixteen to thirty, they're the only two fifteen minute brackets throughout the ninety minutes. Where over the course of the season we conceded more than we scored. So all other fifteen minute brackets in the game, we scored more than we conceded. But that first thirty is where, yeah, we've really basically just put ourselves behind the eight ball. And uh, if you look at again the other teams that that are up near the top, they don't start that slowly. I know that might sound really, really basic, but if you look at teams like, I don't know, Barnsley, Ipswich, Derby, Plymouth, and Sheffield Wednesday, all of those teams had no 15-minute segments where over the course of the season, they conceded more than they scored. And we've got two, and it's the first third of the game, essentially, which you're just not going to get promoted playing like that, are you? That's If you start slow, you're behind the eight ball. You're not going to get the results you need because you're always sort of swimming against the tide a little bit. Yeah, so many games like that. Um, Peter away was a classic example, wasn't it? Where it was just overrun in the first half an hour. And then they fought back in the second half really well. Got the one goal back. And then made, then you, so, oh, a couple of decisions may have gone our way, but it was too late for Pompey at that point. Um, Pompey basically blown out of the water in many games before they even got going. And also the team needs to be a bit more purposeful in possession. When you look at the stats, according to Opta, Pompey were fourth in possession in the league, 54.4%. Ipswich, Bolton, Plymouth, Pompey, then Peterborough in the top five. We're the only one outside the playoffs who had more of the ball in League One this season. And after quite a slow start, it seems to be then that a lot of the time we sort of were allowed to dominate the ball in areas of the pitch, I suppose, that weren't really that dangerous, where we weren't going to generate high scoring danger opportunities. We just have to learn how to unlock teams better, don't we, Andy? Yeah, well, that's going to happen though, isn't it? If you go a goal or two down early, you're going to have a lot more possession. In League One, I mean, you're not going to find many teams that score one or two or score two in the first 30 minutes and then, you know, really push for that that 9-0 win that we have enjoyed a couple of times in another league previously. But you're not you're not going to see it. So those stats sort of support each other symbiotically, I guess. Maybe it's maybe it's only one way they support each other, but yeah. We're getting very stats heavy, lads. This is uh this is unlike us, you. It's just season review stuff, isn't it, really? It's sort of big picture, I suppose. To look yeah, it wasn't, at wasn't a complaint. wasn't a complaint at all. Just a, a slightly surprising one that we've both actually done some prep. I mean, when we say done some prep, you've done a bit of prep. I like the little look afterwards. Yeah. Oh, no, it's, it's not the a video massive. podcast, so the look is fine. <laughs> exactly. The massive amounts of prep. Freddie, I want to let you know who's your surprise player of the season. What is it? The player is like, over, most, overachieved then. expectation. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, not like That's surprise fine. you at a party or something, just generally. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to go for Zach Swanson, actually. I didn't think much about the Zach Swanson signing, largely because of biases about bringing in Premier League Louvre players into the league. But he filled in very well for Joe Rafferty when he was injured, showed a lot of promise, showed, showed that he could defend really well in the physical league and go forward at the same time. Very good crossing stats as well. Massively played above expectations and looked part of it at a young age. And he fits that mould of player and transfer that the club wants to make, which which is positive. It's nice that that came up. So Zach Swanson for me in his 15 league appearances, I, I thought he did very well and played above where I thought he would. Where do you see Zach next season then? Obviously, he's going to be in the squad. It's, it's quite difficult for him playing behind Rafferty, isn't it? Fred, do you think it's a situation where you just roll it out, save next season? Or if we were to, say, change the system and play a three at the back, he could play his right side of centre back? Or do you think that's not a possibility? I just assume that Pompey will go over back four because it's just easier to organise, I think. Um, arguably, in a three, it would be very interesting because then you could put Sean Raggett in his strongest bit of the defence, which is in the middle of two agile defenders. I'm assuming that Raggett will not be sold and will be picked anyway. So if you are going with that in a three, that's one positive. And Swanson can play right wing back. I think he'll play really well there. Where I know he's got strong positional sense and is physical. Whether he could play right side centre back, we'll see. But no, I think that's a, that's one of Pompey's strongest positions at right back. I'd happily roll out Swanson or Rafferty and be comfortable with either of them. Go on, Andy. Who's your surprise player then? I would go... 
it's kind of hard to say this without sounding like you're on keys and gray corner his name just fits it uh matt macy uh who i was not part of the vocal aspect of twitter who decided that he was the world's worst signing ever 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 and we were going to get relegated with him playing in goal and he couldn't catch a cold uh it wasn't that extreme but i did i was skeptical let's say um i wasn't overly confident and i think with the exception of one game with a, a couple of mistakes in really pleasantly surprised me and yeah i uh i was happy to be demonstrated to be pretty wrong when i was well, well i think like a lot of portsmouth fans uh, when he was signed. So yeah, I'll go Matt Macy for my surprise of the year. I have a couple of stats which shows how well he did. He had nine clean sheets from his 21 league games, conceded 15 goals out of the 50 that Pompey conceded in the league all season, was sixth for pass accuracy. Some would argue his distribution's a bit mere, which is fair enough. And his prevented goals ratio, which basically shows uh, essentially how many goals he scored uh, above the expected goals how many he scored above you? Above Saved, scored. excuse me. It's been a while. It's been three weeks. <laughs> and you've forgotten uh, the difference between scoring and conceding. This is a high-value production. Yep, yep, well, that's where we are, aren't we? Um, plus 3.73 for prevented goals, which is 11th for the league for goalkeepers who have made 10 appearances, which is relatively solid, isn't it? And really, people are looking at who we should bring in in goal for the summer. Because arguably we could have two keepers if you want to loan out Oluwe Amy. I would not complain if we tried to sign Matt Macy. Um, some people are speculating whether now that would be easier with Luton getting into the Premier League. But with the amount of keepers that Luton will need, they might go or have the amount of keepers they have. Thank you. And they might want more, perhaps. I think Macy's a realistic target as well. I like how Hugh and I were both ready to jump on that one and then both just re-muted our mics before. Could you cut us off before we could jump in? Yeah, no, I noticed. It's all right. <laughs> no, I think Matt Macy was a solid signing. It does depend, I suppose, how you want to play. Because as you said, his kicking is not great. If they really want to play it out the back, is it going to be that sort of player? Or do we need somebody who can control the ball better with their feet? I don't know if that's something Rich Hughes will look at, but it will be interesting going into the summer now just to see what we do there Andy yeah agreed uh, I was just going to ask who your surprise player of the season was since we're being polite and taking turns and stuff I can wait until you finish your token on your vape but uh... no it's alright I've got this I'm going to go with Riley Towler bought on quite a, a small amount of money you know had a decent pedigree when we spoke to the guys at Wimbledon etc but it's quite a big step up to play into League 1 from League 2 and I thought he looked good for what he played he seems to have a good attitude as well on him good head on him you know, wants to improve and I see him as quite a good, you know, good piece, long-term piece going forward for the club as well. Good age, he's that sort of thing where you just think, okay, we've got a bit of a player here for, for less than a hundred grand to play potentially, you know, in our centre-back position next year. So I want to go with Riley Towler, the boy at the back. I like that. I think that's a good shout. Between the three of us, I think we've nailed that. I'm sure no one will disagree at all. <laughs> at PO Forecast. Um <laughs> All right, let's move on. What do you want to talk about now? I'm sort of, I'm sort of stumped on what we should, where we should move this on to. Are you avoiding the, the flip side of the coin as to if we've been dis- oh, disappointed? Oh, yeah. Sorry, a little bit slow. Coffee's just kicking in. Um, all right, then Let, let's lay it out. We've been nice. Let, let's go for the, you know, critique of of what's gone wrong this season and why we haven't made the playoffs. Because at the end of the day, it's if not getting into the playoffs is just not really acceptable for this football club, is it? even though we sort of expected it could happen, Freddie, um, it turns out that it's still not really ideal. So, Freddie, what was your biggest disappointment of the season overall or actually just player-wise? In terms of moments or just in general? um, We touched on it earlier. I was very disappointed how Pompey played going forward in open play. I thought with the Cowleys, um, when they literally turned up, they played a very aggressive, high-pressing football and that created a lot of chances. Then in the second season, you saw moments of it, but you didn't really, you know, it wasn't consistent. So we thought, oh, that's a transitional season, fine. And it was just the fact that we started very well, took our chances then, and then from open play going forward, it just vanished completely. And it's the fact that the same problems that we've seen Portsmouth have for seasons before the Cowleys came in as managers 
that they were still there. The inability to break down a low block at home, for example. The idea that the final ball isn't good enough or the final execution or the killer pass wasn't quite good enough. And that's hard to that's hard to notice in the analytics, but when you watch the games, you can see it. It's just a shame that those things didn't match up. And then some of the signings that came in the summer, who I thought would be pretty good, they didn't match up to it. Um, and obviously we can caveat injuries and we could say how much that's the reason that this side dropped off. But there are many other factors, I think, rather than just that one. Go on, Andy. Okay, disappointment number one, that it didn't work out with Danny Cowley. I don't think in my lifetime I've ever wanted it to work out with a manager or a, or a coaching team as much as I have for him and Nicky. Uh, so that was a huge disappointment. Uh, disappointment number two, uh, Tom Lowry's injury record. I'm not saying it would have necessarily changed the outcome of the season, but I think it had a fairly large bearing on the trajectory of our season for at least well, at least a, a few months or a couple of months at the start of his injury spell. Disappointment number three, the breakdown between fan base and Dane Scarlett uh, towards the end of the season and the fact that it really came across like he didn't want to be here by the end of the season and his performances kind of reflected that. If I'm honest, I was also very disappointed in in what we actually saw from him considering the hype that was there when he arrived. And I kind of thought we were genuinely going to have, you know, potentially one of the top scorers in the division there. And it just petered out into a bit of a, not a disastrous loan spell by any stretch, Tyler Walker, uh, who is also available, by the way, lads. Uh, but it wasn't disastrous, but it it really didn't, bright, uh, didn't burn too brightly. And then probably final disappointment, the Sean Raggett-Clark Robertson combination at centre-back. Uh, which I've always thought was fairly sturdy and vaguely reliable, uh, with a, a few notable exceptions on on Sean Raggett's side uh, occasionally in the past. But I think at the end of this season, I, I got to the point where I was more comfortable with our defence with neither of them in the side. And I know everyone gets a bit older and everyone loses a bit of power in their legs, etc. But... It's kind of sad to watch it happen in front of you. And uh, it was disappointing and immensely frustrating. I think four is probably enough. <laughs> Where to leave it? Have you got any bunts you wanted to wear? Any that's not already been said. I'm going to go with, it was last on my list, but why not? Owen Dale. Just the fact that the whole situation where for half the season, you looked at the numbers and you thought, okay, you know, hopefully turns these sort of chance creations into into actual production and it just got worse and worse as the season went on for a man that carries the ball so much I mean you know he leads the team with 12.2 meter average carry distance in a game but running around mate with the ball and unfortunately not creating any of those real things into actual chances I mean he got five assists but he played a lot of minutes in that time didn't he that's league assists as well but for me, the absolute shit in the bed of Owendale, who basically turned out to be another Ryan Williams. I've never seen a player cut back more than Owendale since probably Quincy Owusu Abayi in the Premier League. And Quincy, all he wanted to do was just beat players over and over again. It wasn't because he was uncomfortable on the ball. Yeah, Hugh, you were right with Dale's production. I mean, went to Weisgart in front of me. His lead production, two goals, three assists from 5.21 XG and a 3.74 expected assists. It, it, for a promotion side, it has to be more. And that's especially true if you're a winger starting in like a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1 every week. There just needs to be more there, didn't there? Quincy Owusu Abey is not a name I expected to come up in the podcast this evening, Fred. I didn't have that on my bingo card for you. It's very, uh, very niche. What a player scoring against the scum. I, I, I mean, it's always nice to mention Quincy, isn't it? Did you ever see that TV show, Quincy? It was like a, a murder mystery. He was a doctor. Um, I can't remember the name of the actor. It, it was on when I used to be, this is a tangent, when I used to be um, babysat when I was in like, I don't know, 
year three or four. It was like an ITV murder mystery. No, no, excellent. Moving never on. Heard, never heard of it in listens. my life. Sorry? Never heard of that show in my life. Oh, it was it was great. Um, I'm going to shut up. Someone who listens to this uh, podcast must have watched Quincy. Let us know. Uh, I wanted to ask you, lads, actually, what your thoughts were on uh, it looks like Jay Mingy is disappearing to new pastures. And I was interested in your thoughts on that and seeing if we're aligned. It seems kind of inevitable, hasn't it? It's been this has been rumbling on for a while. The contract's apparently been on the table, supposedly, for a, a bit of time now. Agents seem to want to negotiate to get the best offer. In some ways, you look at it and think, all right, from the player's perspective, he wants to get the best deal he can at the best club possible. It looks like it's been mentioned he might be going to the championship, but do we do we think really that it's a miss, isn't it, when you've got a young player who basically isn't going to be on the huge biggest amount of money, you think, anyway, can provide cover in the midfield and has something different about him? And is he going to be one of these players, Freddie, that in two or three years' time we're going to be going, should have kept? Yeah, I can see it happening, but there are a couple of factors there. If he goes to a championship side, how much is he actually going to play? Because looking at, if, for example, he signs that deal that's on the table, he'd still be Pompey's fourth choice centre mid, probably behind Pac Lowry, Morel. How much is he going to play at a higher level? Obviously, the deal was offered, as reported in the news, in like December time. And then the agent basically says, okay, we've got to wait for the summer, see what else comes up with higher wages and so on. And I think that article also mentioned that Mingi was one of the lowest played players in the squad. And obviously that contract had a significant raise on it, obviously. But he could get more money elsewhere. There's, there was no mention of playing time in that article from the agent as well, which is strange. And he speculated that he wasn't injured in the second half of the season when the manager says he was and all that sort of thing. It probably is good. It might. I, it could. I could see it being a big miss. But really, could Pompey have tied him down last summer to a longer deal? Probably they could have been a bit more heavy-handed with it. But then, from their point of view, they probably wanted to see more of what they had. So we'll see. It was a tough one. If 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 he ends up going to a championship team, I don't think it's. I wouldn't call it a blunder by Pompey, really, because. It's not clear what Mingi's trajectory will be, depending on where he goes. And I think his trajectory was even less clear less last year, where you're mentioning there that they could have potentially tied him down if they'd gone 12 months earlier. I think it wouldn't have been a good bit of business to offer a longer contract and a pay rise 12 months earlier, because I don't think he'd hugely demonstrated anything to to show that he'd earned it at that point. And you could argue that he has or that he hasn't. You could argue both sides of it now, but at that point, I really don't think he had. And I think this is a little bit different from some other players that, as you said, Hugh, we could potentially look back in a few years and be like, oh, what if? In that he's been offered a, a deal that, by all accounts, wasn't horrendous and a combination of him and his agent or one or the other, we don't know the details of it, sounds like he wants to go. Whereas previously... I mean, we know there was that sort of batch of contracts offered that people in that sort of era where Jack o- Jack Watmore left, that sort of um, time frame, where the contracts offered were actually fairly insulting from what we heard. I don't think this is really directly comparable. I think he wants to go. I think he's going to go. And that's kind of that. And I don't think he is a player that they should just be throwing money at in a desperate attempt to keep and sort of allowing the, the agent to make a power play deal. And maybe in three, four years, it will turn out that, you know, it would have been great if we'd done that and we would have made a long-term profit. But I think you've got to play the odds. And I think it's far more likely that he won't become that. And I, I don't think it's comparable to your sort of your Connor Chaplin, your Jack Watmore situations at all. Looking at the centre midfield with Mingy probably moving on in that sense, we just spoke about... Do you think there's a need for someone with a bit more ball-carrying ability or do you think we can head into the season with the pack lowry Morel combination? I think with the midfield three, 
we haven't seen it that much together, have we? So a preseason could change everything. But in the latter stages, I think of that Wickham game as well. I just felt like there was a sense that more was needed going forward. A player who was slightly higher up the pitch most of the time and had a bit more creative spark. Because Morel and Lowry would collect the ball, but still deeper. And then Pack would sometimes drop in between the centre-halves. Largely the caveat being that the centre-halves tried to play it out from the back and failed a lot. So maybe if the side went a bit more direct, not long ball, but didn't rely on playing out the back all the time, it might be a bit different. And you might have some control in midfield there. But it's always nice to have a different option, a more advanced playmaking option, I think, with a bit of goal-scoring touch. Because some would argue that a midfield three of, although there's technical ability with Pat Lowry and Morel, that, that all three of them are too similar. Yeah. And with a lot of the attacking players moving on, no Dale, no Rico, no Michael Jacobs, etc., they're creating space, aren't they? And you've got to think without Jay Mingy there, they don't see him then as a fit to go there. Hope, well, maybe they don't see him, but who cares? But um, I'd at that bit out. Do you think we do you think that's that creates some space, isn't it? And hopefully, I don't think the three works. Because you talked about Pack dropping in, collecting the ball and moving it up. He doesn't really move it up, does he? He plays balls sort of left, right, spray, whatever. But then you don't have the support, do you, through the middle? There's no one there. You've got the two other players looking to sort of bring the ball as well. So we'll see. I think we do need to maybe change it up and play a 10. Andy? I was just going to say, what about Michael Jacobs at Cam? But I've been saying it for three years and he's left. So <laughs> there's only so many times I can say that. And that was the last time he'll probably come up on this podcast. Right. So we said what we don't like, what we do like. Where do we go from here is, is the next question. Freddie, do you feel that when we build this squad out now, it's going to be a complete change in tactics. He spoke about building identity, building a team that played and Messinio's come in with a existing squad, maybe looked at them, assessed them and played them as, as what he thinks is best for them as they are. Do you actually think that we'll change it completely this season? Do you think that's what he wants to do? Is is it all changes, all excitement? I don't think it'd be all changes. I think just looking at the players we have now, because I don't want to speculate what sort of players we'll bring in because Really, we have no idea. We've got a vague notion. But what we have, I could see as an identity of football, just an aggressive, in-your-face, pressing team that, yes, they might not build the ball out from the back a little bit, but out of possession, they're very aggressive, always moving, always looking to cause turnovers in possession. But then on the ball, they're very quick, they're very decisive. And I think we have some of the players there because Morel, Lowry and Pat can all play a killer pass, arguably. We have the striker on the end of it who has proven with limited chances that he can score goals. We've, we have a right side of the defence that can support the winger with crosses and some reasonable production there. I don't think we've got the players to be like a controlling possession side. Currently, I think if we can make our team play in a similar way to Barnsley, just as a comparable, I think Pompey could do very well there. And we'll see because there there are some sides that are coming down into the championship, into League One from the Championship, where we have no idea if they're going to be any good or not. It's going to be a bit. It's a bit up in the air. It's not just a question if they're if they're going to be any good. It's a question of how many negative points they're all going to be starting on as well. Was it Wigan or on? Is it eight confirmed at the moment and more possibly to follow? I mean, Reading are hardly in a great financial spot. Yeah, Reading for past seasons were spending over 200% of their turnover on wages. Now, I'm no analyst, but that suggests to me not the most <laughs> long-term sort of plus EV decision there. That doesn't sound like game theory optimal to me, Fred. Maybe not in the long term, Andy, but did we not say that with Derby when they came down? No, I understand that it's it's risk-reward, mate. There'll be examples of that where it has worked. You see it at the top end of the championship all the time. It's mostly done in the championship, isn't it? Because, was it, £155 million you get for winning the playoffs, maybe? Is that... I think it's £155 million or something. So, yeah, risk-reward, you see it. And occasionally, for like one team or two teams a season, it pays off. But 
yeah, long ter- long term GTO. It's not not the way forward as we see in the majority of cases. And I think with Derby last season, one key caveat, which I didn't really think about until the end, they weren't allowed to buy players. All their players were loans or freebies. This season, they don't have that um, restriction on because the ownership have proven that they're not a basket case effectively. So I think out of the sides in this league that could end up being one of the favourites, depending on their recruitment, I think they're one of them, I think. Looking at the season next year, I mean, that's a pretty sensible segue there, Fred. How, this is going to come back and bite me, how weak does League One look next season on paper? If you look at the teams in there, compared to this year, got Barn- I'll go alphabetical, Barnsley, Bolton, Bristol Rovers, Burton, Cambridge, Carlisle, Charlton, Cheltenham, Derby, Exeter, Fleetwood, Leighton Orient, Lincoln City, Northampton Town, Oxford, Peterborough, Port Vale, us, Reading, Shrewsbury, Stevenage, Stockport County, Wigan Athletic, Wigan Wanderers. No like, Stockport, Carlisle instead. But apart from that, that's right. Uh, because Stockport lost Carlisle in the playoffs. They did. They shouldn't be on this list. Unbelievable. Who knew that Wikipedia wasn't a reliable source of information? <laughs> That's an epiphany oh moment for me. Can you believe that? I can't believe that Wikipedia's done me dirty. Yeah, well, it is something Point to stand, consider though. because in terms of this season, we've lost two financial juggernauts in Sheffield Wednesday and Ipswich. Both sides who had players who are championship standard. And then Plymouth, who went up with an exceptional manager and strong tactics and who could adapt the game on the six, on the sixpence. Those are strong sides that Pompey aren't going to have to contend with anymore. And then you're going to replace it with Blackpool, who, if they keep most of their players, will be up there, I think. They're a very solid side. Wigan, who are on minus eight and, pro- and might end up trying to get rid of a load of their players for cash. Well, you have no idea. And then Reading, when you look at their squad, how many of their players would want to play in League One? Probably not many of them. So it it just seems like the division will be weaker. And I'm not really, I'm looking at the sides that got promoted from League Two. I don't see many of them being playoff contenders. I see some of them being very handy and very solid, but I don't see them as, I don't know what the equivalent would be. None of them are like a Wrexham getting promoted who are going to spend loads of money and be up there, aren't they? That's. I didn't even read Blackpool on that list. Right, okay. So Wikipedia lists 25 League One teams and none of them are Blackpool. Let's go again, shall we? No, League no, One teams for 2023. We know which teams are going to be in there. <laughs> Sorry, Fred? We know which... I think we know which teams are going to be in the division next season. It's just, it's just such a weak league if you look at it on paper. Barnsley are going to be up there. You mentioned Blackpool might be all right. Bolton will give it a crack. Us. Derby. Derby. I mean... Posh, obviously. Posh is an interesting one because I assume you've seen their retirement well, list. Johnson Clark Harris is gone, isn't he? Yeah, Johnson Clark Harris. And Ben Thompson. <laughs> obviously, we had to mention his name on the show. Um, but a lot of their first team players are on the retained list and they want to go after players who are 25 and younger. Now, they've got a good track record of going after those sorts of players, but it seems to me like they're trimming their wage bill. For various off the pitch reasons, so depending on uh, so depend that's a big gamble for them. So depending on how that goes, Peterborough may or may not be in that vicinity. So if Pompey were willing to be slightly more aggressive in the transfer market than usual, they might have an opportunity here because largely they've been stably run for years, haven't they? Yeah, I don't think Johnson Clark Harris is gone. He's just been transfer listed. Unless I've missed anything over my oh, holiday. He's going to get a move though, isn't he, realistically? Unless they're just absolutely highballing everyone with his with the fee. You'd imagine he's going to get picked up. Which they will be. Coming on to that, do you think, how much do you reckon Clark Harris is worth for a championship side, let's be honest? Do you reckon someone will pay three million for it? Yeah, I was thinking, I was thinking three, three and a half, maybe in, the, in today's market. He's I mean, more than proven at this level. Yeah, three is probably a shout. Maybe three and a half is a bit high. Maybe two and a half, three. Do you reckon he's worth more than Bishop, considering his contract? 
I would say so. Yeah. Because he's, he's top goal scorer this season in League One. Top goal scorer the previous time he was in League One. And then in the Championship, obviously, his goal return was less, but he wasn't, he didn't drop off massively. And that was with a relegation side as well. So he's he's got a track record of of like good production, hasn't he? And looking at his expected goals, he's I think he scored above it as well. Um, and he scores multiple types of goals as well. Very comfortable on the ball. He's got a lot. He's got a strong skill set that a championship side would have. So I don't. I think I could see a lot of championship sides going after him for the right fee, personally. So do you think we can keep hold of Bishop? I mean, that's my second question. It's my lead-up question. And if not, how much money do you reckon it would take? Or how much would you want him to go for? I don't see Bishop being sold for anything less than like two and a half, three million. If they do sell him for less than that, then you're putting a lot of pressure on the recruitment team. Because largely, without Bishop, last season, we would have been nowhere near it. And that's the biggest cog in the side that you're getting rid of and how many times have you seen it where a team sells their star player they use that transfer fee to like buy players around the side in different positions say and it hasn't worked it would be a quite a struggle I think I think if if Pompey are going to sell Bishop if they for example go into this season and don't get promoted and Bishop has a similar season to the one that's just gone then you have to sell him don't you then you can get the big, big bucks, I think. Yeah, I do think we talk about statement of intent signings. I think it has to be a, a statement of intent keeping because it's not like he's got one year left in his contract. He's got it was a three year contract, wasn't it? He's got, I think it's 2025 he's got until on his contract, as far as I know. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, Fred, please do fact check that. But I thought he was contracted until 2025. So unless he literally is trying to force a move which normally you would hear rumblings of, and we haven't heard anything, you wouldn't think that the club would have to let him go unless they get a ridiculous offer. So, yeah, I wouldn't think I'd be even paying any sort of hindrance or heed to any offer below two and a half. And even that, I mean, with two and a half million, who are you buying as a replacement who's going to do the same job? It's all very well having money in the bank, but I want us to be scoring on a Saturday afternoon. I, You know, great, two and a half million. That signs 25 players for 1K. Uh, sorry, for 100K. Like, it's not the same. Fred, did the contract 2025? Yeah, his contract's until 2025, yeah. Okay, that makes I sense. Can't, I can't remember. 26 teams in League that, yeah, One. That's that according sense. to transfer marks. I haven't looked on if there's a club option. There may be. Okay. I would have to look at the previous article of like when he signed or whatever, but that's and that sort of lines up, doesn't it? For example, you're looking at Bishop here. If he has a good season coming up and Pompey miss out on promotion, he has one season left. He may say, oh, I might not want to re-sign. I might want to go to the championship. Then you sell him to get value back. Like Marcus Harness, um, selling him with one year left. Yeah, I think it it is one of those where a conversation needs to be had where it's, look, give us this season. And I agree, if we if we don't, go up or even get close to it this season, he'll scarper off, I'd imagine, unless he goes full Cole Stockton, you'd imagine he'd disappear off. It's kind of potentially like a almost a Matt Clark situation where you know he's going if you don't go up. So you need to go up. And if you don't, then there's no complaints that he leaves because it's absolutely fair that he wants to play high level football and he will have earned it. But I do think we need to make a bit of a statement of intent by by keeping him on the books and I mean, unless he's trying to force a way out. I, I don't want to see him go to somewhere like, you know, Ipswich, who have been rumoured to be hanging around, hovering around him, and see him playing probably towards the bottom end of the championship and with the rest of the ex-Pompey squad. Like, I don't particularly want to see that. I think the only other player who Pompey, who other teams will want, is probably Joe Morrell, isn't it? Wales International, there's a pedigree there. When he's not injured, he puts some consistent performances together. You could argue that he would probably do very well in the championship as well. What would be the case if Portsmouth, for example, get a bid for Morel that's too good to turn it down? What do you guys think? I think any bid that's too good to be turned down 
probably will be accepted, I think. It's just a little bit of the nature of League One. If someone comes in from the league above you with a shit ton of cash, effectively, and it's too good to refuse, I think the club will sell him. But I don't think that's what the club wants to do with Joe Morrell. So unless we hear a lot of stuff from agents and chatter and stuff over the summer, is one to look after, you know, look out for. But I don't think the club will be actively shopping Joe Morrell, put it that way, for money. Yeah, it's a little bit of a feeder league, isn't it, to a certain extent for clubs that get stuck here. That's why we're so keen to get out because you start becoming part of the, you know, you become one of the predators in the championship instead of being one of the prey in League One, which is essentially what we are. You know, the championship scouts are looking down at us, seeing what's going on in the same way that, you know, League One scouts are looking at League Two and non-league. But obviously the quality of player is ever so slightly different between those two levels. But um, yeah, I do think if an offer comes in, it's too good to be true for Joe Morrell. I do think they're more likely to listen to bids purely because just, on, again, on paper, a centre midfielder is probably easier to find somewhere of similar standard than a striker who's going to score 20-plus a season. Um, I'm not saying that Joe Morrell is a dime a dozen because he's not, you know, Welsh Unites and all that stuff. But I do think a good passing, gritty centre midfielder is going to be seen to be not e- easier is the wrong word, but m- slightly more replaceable than a Colby Bishop. But it would need to be a hell of a good offer for me. Yeah, 100%. Boys, you know, this is a bit of a slow summer episode. So before we wrap it up, is there anything you want to touch on before we go? And then I'll let people know what we're going to do over the summer. No, I think just a massive thanks to the people who did the borrow, um, not borrow, that's something else. Um, I was going to say the thanks to the people that did borrow my doggy this year, which is where you borrow someone's dog and take it out for a walk. But that's not what we run. Uh, huge thanks to the people who did the buy me a coffee. It rhymes, see, and starts with B. That's the problem. Um, yeah, big thanks to people who did buy me a coffee this year because uh, it has been well appreciated to have you know a couple of well, quite a few cold pints before the game, and it's yeah, very kind of people to contribute. So thank you to those of you that did. I would also like to extend that to anybody who listened to the show as well. It's not a competition, um, Freddie. Yeah, because we're, 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 without you guys, we wouldn't be doing this in the first place, would we? So. We would. We'd just have it as our own little Zoom call. We wouldn't bother recording it. <laughs> <laughs> just to do- <laughs> It wouldn't be quite as good, though, hey? Hmm. <laughs> just this private video collection of us talking about football, replaying it in our bedrooms. Otherwise known as the Oxford Brook Zoom recording server, <laughs> where all of the all of the episodes from the last three years also lie until senior management notice. Yeah, exactly. So uh, if you are listening from Oxford Brooks University, <laughs> if you're listening from Oxford Brooks University, give me a pay rise, please. <laughs> <laughs> Support Mitchell more. All right, boys, let's wrap it up. So we're not going to do weekly episodes over the summer. Obviously, we take a little bit of time. Me and Fred are both on holiday now. Suck it, Andy. But four weeks, what, bro. I got four weeks. We will be doing some sporadic stuff effectively over the summer. If there's any big news on players signings and that kind of stuff, we'll jump back on the mic effectively. We still got some of the bits to do, so look out for that. And we'll just promote it when we come around to doing it. But yeah, so we'll be back over the summer. If there's anything in particular happening, and if not, we will be lying on the beach with a mojito, pretty much, metaphorically anyway. So I'm going to the Southern Hemisphere. Last last year when I was out there in the middle of summer for the UK, uh, we got flash flood evacuation warnings. So not quite the beach. I'll, I'll still go to the beach. It will just be um, flash floods instead of nice weather and 35 degrees. You're going to Australia. You're going to be on the beach. Let's not try and gloss yeah, it up. True. You know, for, don't try to make everyone, you know, be all humble and don't try to stop making people jealous. But Andy's going to be just chilling out for four weeks in Australia, sat on the beach, right? Six weeks. But yeah. Uh, point stands, yeah. So normally go and hit up Manly, have a little wander around Circular Quay, obviously go Bondi Beach, pop up to Port Macquarie, sit on the beach there. Lots of water. I think we're meant to be, um, we're meant to be recording an episode while I'm out there, aren't we? So we were doing a down, PO forecast down under uh, with a... Oh, yeah. yeah. Exactly, yeah. So you, you could actually have Andy, rather than claiming I'm running away from a frog or dodging scorpions or eating insects or whatever you think they do in Australia. Like last year, you claimed I was every week. 
that's what was happening. So I really report the facts here on the PO forecast. But what can I say? One day, Pompey, you're going to do an Aussie pre-season tour and I'm going to be so on it. It's going to be beautiful. You don't fancy going to to Spain, Fred, if Andy's not here in July, whenever it is. Yeah, I'll be away. Well, depending on when it is, why not, eh? What, what, what a brilliant summer holiday that would be. Well, there is a, there's one more footnote to put at the end of this season before we go. Yeah. The most important thing, obviously, so we left it till last. Ah. Not because we forgot. No, not because we forgot. I wanted the proper moment to give it what it deserves. We have the final guess the XG and the overall standings. I went back through all the episodes when Hugh and Andy both played guess the XG and I have the standards standings written down on a notepad which I'll reveal after the final round of the game. You obviously won't remember, Wickham, will you, uh, about this this goal, which I'm going to bring up from the Wickham game. Paddy Lane scored, if you remember, via a low cross from Joe Piggott. What was Paddy Lane's expected goals, quality of chance, for that finish in the last game of the season? as you both frantically look up the highlights to, to remember what goal it was. <laughs> so true as well. <laughs> <laughs> because everybody has forgotten, uh, understandably. Hey, look, all it's I, an advert for YouTube. <laughs> all I remember from that game, Uluwiemi getting kicked in the head, Pompey defenders not playing the ball out from the back properly, Joe Priggett playing an excellent game at left wing, and that's about it, really. <laughs> okay, I watched it. I, I remember seeing it now. Yeah, that, that header at the far post back across the keeper. Yeah. That's so bad. It was how many, what, three weeks ago? And we have no recollection of what the goal was, even though we were both stood about 30 metres from it. That's how okay, inspiring uh, that last okay, was. Okay, Andy, since you found the goal, uh, can you go first, please? Okay, well, it's a moving ball. The fact that it's a header always knocks it down by about 80% on guess the XG. So I will go with 0.28. Hugh Bunce, what was Paddy Lane's expected goals? I'm going to go with... I've just seen it as well. What a nice header. What on Paddy Lane. Can't believe I was literally stood behind the goal. I'm going to go with 0.28. Three. Hugh has pipped it by a very small margin. Uh, Paddy Lane's expected goals for there was 0.34 for that chance. So Hugh has pipped it and romped home with all the expected goals games played. He has won eight to four. But credit to Andy for getting two answers spot on as well, which I've recorded. Didn't we say that we were going to be doing three points for an exact... We said this in one of the podcasts. Three Do not points. try and worm your way out of this, Mitch. <laughs> no, no, no. We legit... <laughs> let me finish. I started, so I'll finish. We legit said on one of those podcasts where I got it dead on that a dead on score was three and that a uh, win I said a bonus was point one. From memory. No. no. no I said, it, uh, and I worked it out. Know. Hang on, hang on. And even if, Andy, I then, gave that, you two extra... four extra points, so it'd be eight four. Oh, no, sorry, it'd be eight all. It was never three, Andy, you mass wizard. It was literally just, Freddie said, should it count for twice? So should you get an extra bonus point? And it was still in consideration. It was never confirmed that would happen. But oh, if, funnily if enough, you, how you're not open to negotiation on it now. What, what a strange turn the, of events. If and we give you the benefit of the doubt and say you get an extra bonus point, you're still not winning. So I don't know if you've noticed you, but in football, you get three, one or zero. I don't know if, if you picked up on that while watching the team. We usually get the one. <laughs> I love the way you're trying to talk your way out of this. Andy, it's been it's been a blast. Hopefully next season you improve on this. You, you need to start watching XG, getting your XG stats up for certain goals, watching videos, and maybe next time you'll be able to get it better. Isn't it amazing how hard I fight for a metric that I literally could not care less about if I tried? And yet I'm still this indignant about it. Just a competitive bastard, mate, that's why. It's nothing to do with XG. You just, you just don't want to lose, do you? Mm-hmm. It's hard to argue with that. I'm but, pretty sure you know, competitive bastard is what most people would refer to me as, yeah. Andy, it's been great having you on the podcast. Oh, yeah, when you've turned up. <laughs> you're, little, you're such a little, like, catty little bitch, aren't you? 
It's been lovely, Hugh. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to be here for all of the episodes I have been, which has been the majority, you little bastard. Um, yeah, have a great summer, everyone. We'll speak to you occasionally throughout. I hope you all keep safe and keep happy and uh, join us in being the idiots that have already renewed their season tickets. Freddie, same to you, buddy. Yes, lo- uh, lovely to be on the show again this season. Always a pleasure. And I've enjoyed all the times we've met up for home games and away as well. Wouldn't rather, wouldn't do it with anybody else. We go again next season, shall we? Hear that, listeners. Freddie doesn't like you as much as he likes us. He wouldn't rather, he wouldn't want to do it with any of you. Just, just us. <laughs> what a fitting well, end, Fred. And on that note, <laughs> now <at> Pompey. <laughs> You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle.